Dear Lord God, we are grateful for this morning, grateful for your word, grateful for your Son come to earth to guide us, teach us, example the life you would have of us. We'd ask that we'd be faithful to it. In your Son's name, amen. It hadn't been that long since I'd been at Luke 6, part of Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a truncated version. But I was thinking along a different set of lines. I, I looked back at the last sermon and a couple years ago, a couple, two and a half. And uh, I just wanted to point out some other things about it. Now, in, in Matthew, the Great Commission, the oft-quoted passage that is supposed to get evangelicals, which you, you loosely are so-called, to go out and evangelize, it says this, Matthew, Matthew, it's on the left-hand side there of the notes. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That's the task that was laid on the apostles to pass on what Christ had taught them and teach them observation of it. Now, I put the word there, looked it up and slapped it in the verse. That's not actually in the text, the tereo, to attend to carefully, to take care of, to guard. Comes from the idea, the word comes from the idea to watch. That's why observe, when you say I observe something. Uh, I'm taking... Um, what Christ has taught and over the thousands of years it is possible with many side roads taken by the established church possible to have what the Lord taught us to be observed by us to be observed by you and me everything he commanded so that when when we read through the Gospels, which is various accountings of the life of Christ and his teaching, a lot of things repeated. Many Christians, many people, they know their own catechism just fine. They know their own set of preferred doctrines just fine, but they really are not that familiar with either the life of Christ, how it was lived, what happened when, um, let alone his teaching. And the instruction was, once you've made disciples and baptized these disciples, you taught them to observe everything he commanded. So with that in mind, and as we look at Luke 6, big ticket portion, you know, uh, there are aspects of the Sermon on the Mount that you will see sometimes are there to increase the trespass, there to increase the, you might say, the, the, the burden of the law when he talks about um, how the law would affect you if you really were abiding by it. But you must observe it. You must attend to it. Everything he commanded, you must attend to. 
And you've got to figure out how you're going to do that. We're not going to answer all your questions about that today, but we're going to talk about generally what decisions you have to make regarding it. Judge not. And this is jumping right into the middle. There was some preceding stuff that would have applied to this, but I don't think we need that right now. You can read it at your leisure. Judge not, and you will not be judged. I think the most oft-quoted, never-read verse by a non-Christian. Judge not, you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The teaching is not that if you give money to the church, you'll get a lot, it's like it's a good investment, you'll get a lot back. The teaching is not that non-Christians should always tell you when you make a comment about sins of the age that uh, uh, you should not judge. Now this is not the point of the verse. He wraps it up with that bolded phrase, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Now, when we have um, a basic problem like sin, that's the problem of crisis of humanity. If we had not sinned, we wouldn't be dealing with this. We probably wouldn't be gathered together in churches doing things. We're gathered together because we've all found this atonement. We have found this grace from God. And um, who knows what it would be like if Adam and Eve hadn't uh, eaten whatever fruit that was. But this is what it is. The problem is sin. Now what we have to realize is there's a tone of voice in this first section. You ought not, essentially, judge, condemn. You ought forgive. You ought give. But you should be thinking in terms of how this is measured out to you individually. The problem of sin is always individual. And we're the individuals. The problem of sin is always individual. We don't corporately sin. If we, did, if we had a mob and we lynched the pastor, say, for instance, for instance, um, you would all be individually sinners. There's no corporate thing called the mob that is guilty of something. You're all guilty. So don't do it. Understanding that. Now, if we're going to be, if we're going to be dealing with the problem of sin and fail to understand some basic things about the individuality of sin, and the secondary aspect that we are the individuals that it's dealing with, so easy for us to start having a ministry that wages war on sin in others. Who are you interested in fixing first? When you see sin in the world, when you see some program on TV that just... Now, it's evil, it's wrong, you spotted it, gotcha. Were you the kind of person who is ready to put this first rule to the test? The measure by which you dish it out will be the measure it is dished unto you. Okay? The horror 
the shock, the willingness to march in the streets, the willingness to burn some sinful rep representative in effigy or in actuality. Because God doesn't just mean that sin is individual and sin, therefore our, our, our shock and, and judgment and condemnation ought to be he, uh, individual, but that he wants you to remember that whatever you did out there is done to you first or done to you in, um, in the measure you did it. The assumption is you would never make judgment. These are good and bad. Judge, condemn, give, forgive. Whatever you're doing, the degree to which you did it to yourself first is the degree you operate by. It's just a rule. It's not karma. Karma is just sort of mindless stuff happens to you to kind of balance things out. Now, this is, you know the difference between being accidentally shot in the woods? You're out hunting. Deer, elk, whatever you hunt. And accidentally some other hunter mistaking your red jacket for a deer plugs you. Um, accidents happen, so you're dead. It's a lot, that's like karma. Or some bullet wasted its energy over to the Lyris Ridge, didn't even see you, comes dropping down from above and out you go. Standing at the gates of glory, wondering what happened. It's different than war. War, there's somebody at the other end of that gun looking for you. They're hunting you. They're not hunting a deer, they're hunting people. And they intend to kill you. That's what this is like. It's not karma. It's somebody willing, giving, wanting to find you and say, this is your view of mercy. This is your view of judgment. This is what we're going to hold to you. So the first rule is the measure you give is the measure you get. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Great painting by Bruegel. You probably would recognize it. It's a line of blind men tapping their way. And they're all mid into the ditch. Because the first one was going into the ditch. The whole line of them are going into the ditch. Very medieval. Uh, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? Now, you say, well, what's the... Why are we having all these seemingly disparate passages together? It could have been that Luke, talking to people about the Sermon on the Mount, had picked up all these teachings and just put them kind of in an order that would seem to fit. These are all the things Jesus said. But there seems to be something holding this together. He wants you to know that the measure you give is the measure you get. And he says, when a blind man can't lead a, can lead a blind man, but if they're both blind, they end up in the ditch. Then he says, the rule is, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully taught, will be like his teacher. And if that's a ditch, that's where you are. Rule one, you get dished to you the way you dished it out. 
good and bad. Second rule is you get to where who you followed went. Now, when we realize that there's sin in the world, sin is the problem, the gospel's the answer, the grace of God is the answer for all these people, um, we're trying to, with the law, the law is there to increase the trespass, the grace of God is to be preached for the answer. We're constantly thinking about reaching the world because we're evangelicals. We took the first part of the uh, Great Commission, go into all the world, make disciples. It's like, okay, we're going to have programs by which we're door to door, we're dropping tracks on tables. Whatever it is, we're thinking about taking up the first part. But it's crucial in the Lord's mind that the, and we find out that sometimes that's because the person we followed. Thinking we followed Christ, we followed some representative of Christ who sliced off the first part of the Great Commission and said, okay, this should keep you occupied. And so you have Christians that don't, shouldn't be preaching the gospel because their life does not reflect Jesus Christ who shouldn't be on short-term missions to wherever they went, shouldn't be up front in the worship team, if you had a worship team. Um, but because we want to have the answer to sin, the answer be for others first, we're too desperate to get them dealing with their sin. The second half of the Great Commission of teaching all these people to observe all that I have commanded. Jesus Christ, we assume, wants you to follow him. Wants you to not, you know, it's not a problem for you to not be above or when you're fully taught you'll be like your teacher. That'd be great. So when, the next passage, verse 41, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. My father always talked about it as a candlelevered light pole, you know, that you're wandering around with this, you know, freeway light in your eye, trying to do eye surgery on people. Others, what's your basic problem there? Your basic problem is what he's already talked about. Have you considered you first? Have you considered you first? The problem is sin, sin is individual, and we are the individuals. Our master wants to answer our sins by the grace of God, by his great forgiveness, this, this, this great wealth of evil that I've committed in my life, I took to the Lord and he just wonderfully forgave on the strength of his son's sacrifice for sin. But I have got to be in my teacher's following. I have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because if I start to find myself teaching or being taught by, say, Evan Wilson, or Jim Wilson, or famous people, you know, I don't know who the famous teachers are these days, John Piper and Tim Keller, I guess those are, those are big names, right? Whoever your teacher is, they are either going to be teaching you more precisely what Christ would have taught you and lived more precisely in the way Christ wants you to live. 
they are not trying to correct sin in the world without having corrected it in their own lives. We sometimes don't wait to see. That's why the qualifications for elders exist in Timothy and Titus, is because they, you want to have people teaching you that have dealt with the issue. And we always get you know, all sorts of chagrin and embarrassment when some pastor runs off with the pool boy. It just shouldn't happen, right? But why does it keep happening? Because we think that reaching others with our message against sin is a bigger task and ticket than Christ reaching it in us. Forgiving it in us. Us facing up to it and going, Lord, take this. We've got a, a, a log in our own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? And why don't you see it? You don't see it because you're not greater than your teacher. Your teacher is blind. Your teacher has a log. You have to make a judgment. I told us not to judge in the first verse today, didn't I? But you have to make a judgment. The warning in the judge doesn't say don't ever judge for heaven's sake. It says judge not and you will not be judged. It warns you that if you're going to, as you, as you hold your teachers, whether they're teachers in books that you're reading or people that you get together with informally and you're learning from because they just they understand the word or formal situations like church or Bible studies or um, yourself take the notion that whatever you start dishing out you will get back with the intention of you getting it back from God and if you follow the wrong teacher you will end up in the ditch In Matthew 15, I have it here on the left-hand side, the same image Christ uses, a different situation. The disciples came to him and said, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. We know, in an evangelical culture, we know sola fides, by faith alone, by, uh, by God's grace alone. We know those. And we're out there ministering that grace of God to others. And whatever your view of the strength of the grace of God, whatever that is, I'm telling you this morning that the ministry point that is supposed to be at first is you. The, the wonder of the grace of God should be lived by you first. This wisdom that we're learning and teaching others has to, be, has to be experienced. Why would I tell anybody that Jesus Christ is forgiven sinners if my life is not one of forgiveness? A bind for theirs? God's for me? That I am in a state of grace. If I'm not in a state of grace, well, it's because we, our whole church 
institution has been since the First Great Awakening, since the Wesleys and Whitfield. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Wesley and Whitfield, Wesleys were Wesleyan, meaning they were kind of freedom of the will type people. Whitfield was reformed. They, they, they were the leading lights of the First Great Awakening. And in spite of that difference, they created a, 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 a world movement of the preaching of the gospel for personal conviction and what we understand is the conversion experience. For centuries, people had been born into their churches, trained to be you know, a member of their parish, and all of a sudden, people were getting saved out of their sinfulness by some itinerant preacher standing on a hilltop yelling at them. And I guess Whitfield could preach like nobody's business. He could be heard long before that sort of thing. And since that time, then in the second great, great awakening with Charles Finney and people like that, there, there has been a revival of revivalism. And our teachers, mine, yours, the air we breathe in Christian circles, is about reaching the lost. It's a great thing to be doing. They're lost. They're in sin. We have the answer. Let's get going. It's so tempting to want to fix over there first. It's so, their sins are so clear to us. Their judgments are um, the judgments due to them are so obvious. I'm not tempted to do that. They were. Jesus says of the Pharisees who were similarly motivated, let them alone. They're blind guides. The Pharisees were caught up in the law, critical of anybody who wasn't as acutely aware of it. He says, there's a pit ahead of you that you're going to fall into. You function that way. We have a lot to do in following Christ, both first understanding our Lord, being familiar with the Gospels, being familiar with what our Lord taught. We are Christians, we're not Paulians. We're Christians. We follow God. And Jesus Christ is God. We have a lot to do. Now, there's that, I guess it's called a meme on the internet. I think it's usually, I see, I've seen it with the pictures of Leonidas played by, what's his name? Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. I'm surprised the women didn't shout it out. Because <laughs> Gerard Butler is pretty, uh, I, from what I hear, that kind of male is desirable. He's shaking his spear and his shield and his arrows falling down around him and the phrase attached to it is, someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> and you have met these people. You type an innocent little post on your Facebook account or your blog, maybe stretching yourself a little emotionally, exposing yourself some. And the, the police, those who realize that, dear Jesus, someone is wrong on the internet. It's like 
it's like wolves in the wild. It's like sharks and blood in the water. It's they, 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 they seek you out. I don't want to talk about my own thought anymore. I have posted things that I got tired of my own thought very quickly because they were just own posts. Somebody making sure that I didn't know. I may have been wrong. Maybe I needed to be corrected. It's hard to leave others alone. It's so easy to solve their sins. I was thinking about forgiveness this last week. I won't go into it. I didn't find a passage to um, go after it with. But uh, how easy it is for us to see that someone else needs to forgive someone else. Over there. Easy for us to see. Have you ever had a hard time forgiving somebody? Uh, you know the rules. You know the drill. You know the teaching. You've applied it to other people when they were wrong on the internet. But the Lord wants you to know that it's sin is individual and it's not first in the individual over there. It's first you, the individual. You with the log in your own eye. It's not a comment. Look at what it says. It says, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Only the righteous, when it says in Galatians, if any brother is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, look at yourself likewise, lest you too be tempted. There is a, you have to have taken the log out, you have to have been affected in your character, you're gentle, you're gentle about it, by that log being now removed from your eyeball. And even then, you're guarding yourself because sin is individual and you're the individual first. That's when you can go talk to someone about what they're doing. But a lot of times, people look at this judgment pass and say, ah, see, you take the log out and pretty soon you realize there was no speck in the other guy's eye. Well, yeah, that's possible. That's possible. But we all know there's sin in the world. We all know there's sin in the church. We all know that there are people who need to be encouraged, admonished, corrected. But the way the Lord wants it, remember the Lord we follow, who is not going to lead us into a ditch, leads us first to ourselves and says, let the grace of God do something powerful in you. Because for no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. It's another rule. Observe, attend to carefully everything your Lord says. Attend to it. You understand. Good trees, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorns, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush, in case you needed to have an example laid out for you. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil man, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. Because that's the kind of person they are. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. My mother's most quoted verse to her sons. Because we are always wising off, you know. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Oh! 
You have to ask yourself, once you get to this, yes, sin is individual. Yes, I'm the first individual. Which master I follow, which teacher I follow, is either going to lead, is, <laughs> any number of paths. I'm always amazed in Christian history how many different directions. There's some standard errors and standard benefits. But there's all sorts of things you could be following. You want those that stand closest to Jesus Christ. You want those who remove the logs themselves out of their own eyes. You want those who have made Christ abundant in your heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. You want to be the person, if you ever spoke to sin, if you're ever doing eye operations on your fellow Christian, (coughs) you want somebody who has made Jesus Christ abundant in their heart. How familiar? How familiar are you with Jesus Christ? Because it's so easy for the Christian church to get you to visit a church, sign the transfer of membership, go through the new members class, if we had membership, and, and learn the catechism, which doesn't stand really close to Christ. It says great things if there, we had one. We don't have a catechism. If you had one, some great things could be said about Jesus Christ. But you're not standing close to him in that regard. You're not studying your Lord's teaching. You're not following him so that you can be fully like your teacher. Because the desired end for you is that goodness come out of you. This is what grace is for. You know, this is you get forgiven of sins and you're being made in this new covenant of God into a person who follows Jesus Christ. A person who, now we've talked about this in other circumstances, the Bible study last week about, um, about love being the creation of the Spirit in you that makes you good towards others. That's the new covenant ethic. You are being made by love into that which you ought to be made. But I have to, these, these other things have to be accounted for. Who did I listen to? Because I can get off the rails. Somebody can affirm that all day long in Christian circles. It's taught all the time. And yet still, we find ourselves dealing with a less than righteous aroma in the family of God. We want good fruit. And then the Lord complains a little bit. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me, and hears my words, and does them, I will show you what he is like. This passage came up yesterday at Mallory's wedding, talking to Larry Stevenson and Nathaniel Ely about construction, because we were just on it. And we ended up talking about uh, uh, beach homes that people had built in hurricane areas and how it's wrong to build a house in New Orleans below sea level. It is wrong to build a house on the Cape. It is wrong to build a house out on the sands of North Carolina. 
because it's not going to be there next year. And no, the taxpayers should not have to pay because you're stupid. And we, we had a good chuckle about people, cities trying to replace beaches, you know, dredging sand up and putting beaches back so the rich people who live on the beach can have a beach and not lose their home that they silly built in a silly way. It's a great image. And, we said, and then this passage came up. And so the passage was in my mind. I don't know if that's what drove me here to Luke 6. But the passage of, I'll show you what this man is like who comes to and hears my words and does them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation upon a rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But he who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation, against which the steam broke, stream broke, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. So not only are we supposed to go stand in general location of New Covenant teaching, where the grace of God is stressed, not only are we to find places whose catechism includes the right things, The difference is, because it's very clear in this parable, if you come to Christ, it says, he who comes to me, and hears my words, so comes to Christ, hears what Jesus Christ has to say, and then does it, okay, I got that, comes to Christ, hears what the Lord has to say, does what they're told. That person is like someone who's establishing their home. That is the person who is making what is true and right the abundance of their heart. He who, but look at the other person. He who hears. Oh, right there in the pew. Right there at the next conference. Right there at the next Bible study. Does not do them. He who hears and does not do. You have to come to Christ. You have to find his teaching. What does he actually teach? Are you in a place where you're getting the teaching of Jesus Christ? You don't want to end up in the ditch. Other people have got to prove that they are not blind. And you have to be first dealing with who you are. Has Jesus Christ made you a new man, new woman? And you are doing it. You are living it. You're not pointing to a life that's in disarray and saying, you know, Christians aren't for, not just perfect, just forgiven. Mm. Quit that. Quit talking about someone who hears and doesn't do. Because something's wrong if you're hearing and not doing. It may be you have not received the grace of God. It may be that you're just trying to be a Christian and, and all the work and efforts to obey the law, even Christian rules, we're not going to do you any good. You have to pass from death to life. It has to be faith. It has to be you falling on your knees before God to get his grace. Because without his grace, this isn't happening. But you have to look and say, am I doing because the ruin of your house will be great. And you don't want that. 
from what I understand. A lot of teachers in Christendom will talk about these subjects. It's, it's, pretty, it's not some hidden thing, either the grace of God or, or the need for Christians to be obedient to the character of Christ. You have to be finding, where do I go to end up doing? What teaching am I missing? Maybe it's something as simple as we see the needs of sin in other people, and so we start judging other people, though they need it, before we judged ourselves. And we're not ready to be judged with the kind of strictness we judged others with. I have this passage out of Proverbs, a blank, empty spot at the bottom of the page, so I said, well, put something there. It's a passage I like out of Proverbs, by wisdom the house is built, by understanding it is established, by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. The wisdom of God, the understanding of God, the knowledge of God, the abundance of God, the thing that God wants you to learn, following the teacher, that doesn't have a ditch in his ambitious plan. So many ministries, so many other teachers, it almost seemed to, you could look at them and go, what kind of ditch do you have in your future? You look at Christ and you never saw a ditch. Tempted in every manner, like as we, yet without sin, so good, we had to kill it. Okay, that's just, I mean, it was so good, we had to kill it. By that wisdom, by that understanding, by that knowledge, your house is going to be established. If it is not, remember the rules. You're going to get what you put into this. God's going to measure you the way you measured everything, for good or ill, that you're not better than the person who you choose to lead you. You have to do what your master says. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. There's lots that we don't understand, Lord. We need a teacher like your son. And we need um, his righteousness given to us by your grace, empowered by your Holy Spirit. We each need to be made into images of your Son so that we can help those who struggle with sin, but not think of helping them before we've won the struggle against sin. We need to do what our Lord has asked of us, Lord, so that our houses would stand. Be merciful to us. And thank you for your great grace. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.